guys, welcome to the More Than Mom podcast. I'm your host, MJ Cash, and your new mom BFF. And guess what? You get me without any awkward playground small talk. On this podcast, we'll be covering everything we possibly can to help you thrive in all of your roles, not just as mother, but as wife, woman, and individual with your own passions and dreams. I hope that you'll choose to continue along this journey with us as we all begin to figure out how to become more than mom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the More Than Mom podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode with Suha Dabit. I know I've actually heard a couple testimonies of people reaching out and saying that their children have CHD and they have reached out and made connections with her, and I think that's amazing. Today, I have a really special guest for you. Um, I've actually known her for about five years, going on five years now, and we had our sons at the same time. Her son is actually just a few months older than mine, and back when we were both pregnant, we were members of the same CrossFit gym, and she was a few months ahead of me, and she had already had two kids. I was pregnant with my first, and I watched her like a hawk to figure out how in the heck this pregnant woman could do everything she could. And through that, I kind of got to know her from a distance, just kind of being the creepy person in the back uh, who was secretly pregnant, hadn't told anyone yet, and eyeing her. (laughs) And through the years, um, I've gotten to know her better just from having mutual friends from that community. And she is absolutely incredible. She has been dealt uh, a pretty hard hardship. She's been going through a really big challenge for the last four years and part of the reason that I wanted to bring her on today is that she has handled this challenge with such grace. She is so fierce, she is so strong, and she is so faithful in her beliefs and I know I mentioned on the introduction episode to the More Than Mom podcast that I will never ever ask someone to change their story in order to try to fit some sort of agenda. And so I just let people tell their story as it is. And in this case, as well as many cases, that includes Ferris's religion. She is a Christian. She is a follower of God. And I know many of my listeners are as well. And I just think that her testimony is an incredible one of unconditional faith. And I'm sure she had low moments in there, but as someone who has watched the journey from afar since it begun four years ago, I can honestly say, and I think all of her community would agree with this, we have just been blown away at how faithful she has been and how consistent she has been in loving God and pursuing her faith and growing that relationship through every single up and down. And it's truly inspiring for anyone who's also in pursuit of having a very unconditional faith and relationship with God. Now, for all of those listening who maybe don't affiliate with any certain faith or maybe uh, don't have a very devout relationship with your faith, I encourage you right now to not turn off your radio simply because you don't align with everything that she believes. That's okay. 
It's okay to not be exactly like someone or think the same things or have the same beliefs. You can still, I promise you, get so much out of this episode because there are some universal truths that relate to every single woman that is listening. And I know from having this conversation with her, I have known her again as an acquaintance for probably five years. And yet in this conversation, I was able to get some insights and some perspective, guys, some perspective on how to approach my life right now in the trenches of motherhood with my children, even though I'm not facing the adversity that she is. We all have our individual struggles. We all have our individual needs. We all have the things that we are fighting, that we are struggling with. And Ferris brings such a fresh perspective on how to approach those hard days. And I think, in fact, I know that you're going to absolutely love her. So with that, I will lead into episode three with my friend, Ferris Owen. So right now I am sitting down with Ferris Owen and let's just get started Ferris for anyone that doesn't know you because I'm sure a lot of people we know each other personally a little bit through CrossFit community mm-hmm. but just tell me a little bit about your background and who you are. Okay from a history standpoint well I am a woman I am a mom I am a family nurse practitioner and I am a follower of Jesus Christ I'd say those are and a wife so those are my Those are my primary roles, but I've been here in Tennessee for, goodness, probably a little over 20 years. I went to school at the University of Tennessee for my undergraduate in nursing and then did my master's at Vanderbilt and worked at Vanderbilt for a while and then worked at a private practice with a bunch of different clinicians for a few years. And then right now I am recovering and being mom and preparing to move that's awesome yeah you move in like a week less than mm-hmm. a week um, which is crazy you were super accommodating to let me in your house right now so I appreciate <laughs> that so where are you from originally did you come here just for college is that Born the first time? in Hot Springs Arkansas oh okay I don't yeah. know like anyone from Arkansas do you hear yeah that all the time? I, I don't know that many people from Arkansas <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. yeah born there and we moved when I was going into sixth grade Okay. to Tennessee with my dad's job. Okay, so your your kind of core childhood is, is here. Yeah, to me, I feel like I grew up here. Yeah. You know, even though I was born in Arkansas, I have a few memories from there, but from like, I don't know, 11 or 12 on, I've been in Tennessee. Right, yeah, 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 that's awesome. So walk me through kind of what your life looked like pre-December 2015. At that point in time, we had, I got married in 2008. So we had been married for a while, and we had two kids at the time. Three. Yeah, okay. (laughs) John Mark had just been born. My third child had just been born at the end of May of 2015. Okay. So I had a seven-month-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. Okay. And were you uh, full-time at home with them, or were you still working as a... No, I was full-time working... Plus, so I had a full-time job in um, an internal medicine practice as a nurse practitioner. Okay. And then I was doing contracting work with my previous job that I would do from home. 
where I was doing electronic order sets, research and development. Right. So you, you had a two working household then, right? And at that point in time, my husband was part-time okay. in ministry. Okay. He had a lot of the parenting role mm-hmm. at that time, but it was kind of split. So Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So then Christmas happens, right? Yeah. And then what and, happens at that point? Well, and what's interesting about that is that we had been praying just about my husband's role and his job and just looking down the road and we felt like we had been feeling for a couple of years that there was a big change coming for him and yeah. we just didn't know in what direction that was supposed to be. So we had been praying about him going back to school. We felt like he was supposed to go back to school. He had a degree in audio engineering and then he also did a three-year program um, for to become a minister. So he had that in his background, but then he was also really good with computers and so we were just we didn't know which direction he should be going for the long term but we just knew that he wasn't supposed to stay at exactly what he was doing so okay all of that to say that just prior to December probably in September he had let me know that he really felt like he was supposed to go to medical school oh interesting yeah I didn't know that so that was just a couple of months prior and wow. we had determined that was the way it should go and which meant he needed three years of undergrad because he hadn't taken any sciences in his background at all so he needed three years pretty much of straight science to even be able to sit for the this was like a very big decision then this is like a decade long endeavor then at this point that's crazy yeah so that was you already have three kids already had three kids that was in the fall so he he transitioned right then he basically Quit all of his jobs. Okay. So he had no job at that point in time, and he was going to be starting classes in January of 2016. Wow. So December of 2015 um, is when I got diagnosed. So he had just quit all of his jobs, and then oh my gosh, all of a sudden I'm in the hospital 24/7. What led to your diagnosis? How did you know something was wrong? What took place that that made you know that you needed to get checked out? So. The, the first time I noticed something was wrong, I w- had actually planned to go on a run with a friend. Mm-hmm. We planned five miles. One mile into it, I was like, we got to stop. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't breathe. So anyway, we walked for a bit and then went back to it and ended up finishing it. Later that day, though, at work, I knew something was off and I couldn't figure out why I felt the way that I did. Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, I had a seven-month-old, so I was nursing. Um, and so I just thought maybe I'm just crazy dehydrated. <laughs> right. Um, but then, I don't know, just probably led by the Lord, I just was like, what if I'm pregnant? There's, there's yeah. really no way, but what if I am? Right. So I took a pregnancy test at work, and it was positive. So then I was like, okay, well, this makes sense then. Right. If I'm pregnant and nursing, of course I feel terrible. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so then ended up going to the doctor, going to my OBGYN, and they mm-hmm. were like, yeah, based on what your HCG level is at this point in time, you're probably about four or five weeks along, so let's wait this amount of time, and then we'll do an ultrasound, and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. So in that interim, the leading up to Christmas, I remember doing a workout. Just the five of us went to CrossFit, I think on Christmas Eve, actually, and just did the workout of that day and I was so frustrated because I felt like like something that would have normally taken me like 15 minutes to do 
I was struggling at like 25 minutes. Wow. I was just like, I feel so worn out and I have no idea why. Like, this and is so hard. Were you still at Cross at Murfreesboro at this mm-hmm. point? Okay. Yeah. So then that night, um, it was Christmas Eve. We went to Christmas Eve service. Oh, we went to my sister's house, actually, to stay at my sister's house. And we had, so we had Christmas the next day, and I just progressively felt worse. Like, all throughout the day, I felt like my heart rate was jumping out of the roof, and my breathing was shallow, and, um, and I was producing less and less milk as well. Okay. And so then I was just frustrated. I was like, John Mark's hungry, and I can't do anything about it. He had never had formula before, so then right. it was just a mess. So later that night, I got up in the middle of the night to feed him, fed him, and then I went upstairs and to get something to drink because I just still felt terribly off, and then I just blacked out. I woke up on the floor, I don't know how long after, yeah. and um, put myself on the couch and was just praying, Lord, what is this? Like, what's going on? Am I just... I still had this idea that I was pregnant. Right. So I was like, I'll just call my friend and have her prescribe me some Zofran so that I can get rehydrated and, you know, not feel nauseated and stuff. And then I went to the bathroom and realized there was blood in my stool. Okay. So at that point, I woke up my sister and and my husband and um, we discussed for a while and determined to go ahead and take me to St. Thomas Rutherford because that's where I'd had all my babies. Okay. And so we thought this was... An OB thing, right. so we should go to where they have all my records and stuff. Yeah. So ended up there. Just I guess it was December twenty sixth. Wow. Early, early in the what morning. What a whirlwind! When I first met you, you were for sure pregnant with John Mark, mm-hmm. and I had just found out I was pregnant with our first, mm-hmm. which I ended up miscarrying. But I remember mm-hmm. our co- the coach, the CrossFit coach Josie, was the only mm-hmm. one I told because. I needed to make sure that the workouts were accommodating. Yeah. And she had just gone through the same thing, obviously, of having a baby and crossfitting the whole time. And I just remember her being like, just watch Ferris. Like, Ferris is pregnant, obviously. Like, you were definitely showing at that point. She was like, just watch her. So I don't even think that we had ever met. Yeah. And I was like, watching you from a distance, being like, all right, if this girl is doing it, I can do it. And you were ridiculous. I mean, your workouts. <laughs> You were, it was, it was definitely as a newly pregnant person with my first baby, you already, already had two at that point with mm-hmm. your third pregnancy. It, it was definitely like, okay, this mom knows how to throw down in the gym. <laughs> so I can imagine how frustrating it must have been, <clears throat> excuse me, to all of a sudden not be able to perform the way that you're normally used to. Cause yeah. you've been pro- crossfitting, I'd imagine for a while at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, a few years, not, okay. not a terribly long time, yeah. but probably four, four years. I mean, long enough to know your times on things, though, and know what you're capable of. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Interesting that I I wonder if people weren't as in tune with their body as you were, how long it would have taken them to kind of realize that something... Well, I mean, it took me longer than it should have, probably, but that's why the Lord gave me such a clear picture. Yeah. I mean, a very clear indicator, okay, this isn't something you can take care of on your own. You need to go in. Right. So then when you get to St. Thomas Rutherford, Mm -hmm. when you get there... What, what kind of takes place? When do they kind of figure out, okay, this is more than just... I went in thinking, I'll be here a couple of days. We'll figure this out, and I'll go home. Right. Um, but basically, I just ended up getting, like, a number of different tests every single day and was there for about six days, I believe. So they, they thought I had these two things going on. They're like, well, she has a GI bleed. 
And then she has a pregnancy that we can't find. Right. So they going down these roads of like, is it, is it somewhere in the ovaries, you know, in the fallopian tubes and it's abrupted. And so now it's somehow bleeding or has the pregnancy somehow gotten like lodged into the GI system and causes, you know, all of these mm-hmm. different things. And there was one doctor there and she said, there's this one thing that, that would answer all of this and that's choriocarcinoma. Mm-hmm. She said that the chances of that are so, so small that we got to look down every road before we assume that that's it. Right. Um, she's like, it's, there's, there's just no chance. I mean, there, she really didn't think there was any chance mm-hmm. that it could be that. And I have a friend who's an OBGYN and he was talking to my husband all the time. He's like, no, there's no way, man. There's, there's no way that's it. Yeah. The percentage. Terribly I, small I know percentage. I had never heard of it until yeah. you were diagnosed. I'm in medicine and I have never heard of it. Wow. I mean, it's not even something they mention, you know? Yeah. So can you explain to the listeners then what, what the diagnosis is? So, yeah, and it took, it took them investigating every aspect of, of potential causes of GI bleeds, which they couldn't find the source. Um, so then I ended up getting transferred to St. Thomas Midtown, where they did a couple of other tests. And then we asked to go to Vandy. And Vandy, once we got there, it's just like, this is what it is. We know what it is. We know what we need to do. So choriocarcinoma um, falls under an umbrella of what they call gestational trophoblastic disease, which can encompass everything from choreo, which is a very aggressive form of cancer, um, to what people are more common or more knowledgeable about is like molar pregnancies, which is basically a pregnancy that just doesn't really develop. Okay. And it's not cancerous, but it can sometimes, you know, cross over into being a bit more aggressive. So choreo is on the aggressive side of that, and it's basically um, a cancer of the placenta. So they determined that it most likely originated from the placenta of my previous pregnancy, which was seven months prior. Mm-hmm. So um, nothing that's genetic. It doesn't. It didn't have anything to do with John Mark. Nothing that would affect him in any way, and nothing that anyone did to cause it. Right. It just cells of that placenta mutated and spread and started wreaking havoc. I remember when I first heard about it. Insane to me that to. The idea that we grow this organ, right? Mm-hmm. Like we literally grow it, mm-hmm. and then for it to form cancerous cells. Right. I mean, is there any explanation as to how that even takes place? Like that just seems so. I mean, you know, bizarre. cancer cancer can form in any any cell in your entire body, mm-hmm. and for a number of reasons, of course, of which we don't fully understand, but. Right. Um, no, there's really, there's no explanation as to why this happened from a medical standpoint. Yeah, that's crazy. So you're diagnosed at that point in January, is that right? Right. In January 2016 with stage four? Stage four. High risk. High risk choreo. Because my previous pregnancy had been over six months prior, Okay. that makes it higher risk because I had metastasis to four different locations. That makes it higher risks. Um, GI is very uncommon to have a metastasis to, and that's where my largest tumor was, causing the GI bleed. I think those were the the main factors. So I had metastasis to brain, lung, kidney, and GI tract. Um, So yeah, they called it stage four. So 
I can't imagine that situation. So you're sitting there, you're young, you're married, you have three young children, um, what, seven months, three, three and, and five. five. Yep. And you get the diagnosis of stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. How does that rock your world at that point? Well, it all, you know, it, it, I'd been in the hospital by the time I actually ended up with the diagnosis. I'd been in the hospital well over a week and hadn't been home. So the kids had already been in other people's hands because Robbie had been there with me as much as he possibly could. And the kids had been coming back and forth when they could. And I was still nursing at that time, so I was trying to pump. I was trying to pump in the hospital. And then whenever they would bring Del Mark to me, I would feed him there. And then I would, you know, I was sending the breast milk to the refrigerator so they could keep it and give it to him and just keep that process going. But then once they diagnosed me with choreo, the plan got set in place and then I knew all of that was going to have to change immediately. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they, as soon as I got to Vandy, I I was booked for surgery within two days from that. And then they allowed me like two days to recover from having that GI tumor removed and um, then started chemo and then I had to start brain radiation I think the day before I started chemo or the day after I don't know right so I was doing that all at the same time so so much was happening that I didn't even have the chance to fully process it the best analogy that the Lord helped me to see at the end of that first season of cancer was kind of a breaker box in your garage because what was interesting to me is that I didn't I don't remember a whole lot of times of being extremely emotional during the beginning parts. I think because I felt so terrible that I just didn't even have the capacity to have emotion about Mm -hmm. it. So those beginning parts, I just, I was just there, you know. But he showed me as, as that started to come to an end and my numbers were good and they were talking about, you know, I knew how many more treatments of chemo I was going to have to have and then I would be finished, that's when I started to get a little bit scared. Um, Because I didn't really... I had shut everything down and I didn't know how to go back. Right. I didn't know how to go back to being a mom and a wife and cooking and cleaning. (laughs) And I just sat in the hospital for the last six months. Yeah. So that, that he gave me a picture of the breaker box and how I had been forced to just go in there and turn them all off. Every single one of them. Right. Emotion. You know, being a mom, cooking dinner, cleaning your house, being a wife, all of them. Shut them off. Working. I had to call my job and just be like, I don't know when I'm coming back if ever. Right. So <laughs> hope you're all right with that. Yeah. Um, and then he said, you don't have to turn them all back on at the same time. You turn them on one by one, slowly, mm-hmm. and let me help you with that, you know, because otherwise I just yeah. felt totally overwhelmed. But I can imagine you're, you know, you, you abruptly step out of a role, right? You, your whole life kind of gets brought down to the most primitive yeah. uh, state of survival. Yeah. And the only life you know outside of that is what you did before, which is right. everything, right? Right. So when you're picturing yourself re-entering, it's like it comes with all of that. Right. And I can imagine... Um, and I don't have the yeah. physical capacity to do any of it. So right. So how does that work? <laughs> Man, so what did that end up looking like? I mean, did you just kind of... I mean, I'm sure at this point, 
on the strength of the whole process, everyone is so willing to help in any way that they possibly yeah, can. Our support system was was crazy. Um, I mean, when I first got diagnosed, a friend set up a GoFundMe for us, and it had forty thousand dollars in it within about a week. That's amazing. So that was like, okay, well, there's you know basically a year's salary that we could we can live on right so we can breathe mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a blur now because i you know I, I finished my first round of chemo in may of 2016 and so at that point we thought okay now we we've done this let's start just slowly getting back to life mm-hmm. you know um I told Robbie, I said, get back to school, go ahead and do that. Like, we'll be, we'll be fine. I want you to keep on that track. I don't mm-hmm. want you to stop. Um, so he was going to sign back up for classes and just gradually, as I started to get better, I think I started going back to work a few months after that, just like a day a week, just right. a gradual process, stepping back into it. We had people that were bringing us meals like four or five days a week for well over a year. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. It is. And I mean, through the whole, through that initial process, I had, my chemo required me to be in the hospital about four nights every other week. And then I'd still get chemo. I got chemo every week, but every other time it was an inpatient stay. So my kids were already on schedule of basically going to my sister's every other weekend. Right. So we had that in place. So anyway, it was just a, a gradual return yeah. for, for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so you, you get into remis- remission, correct? Mm-hmm. And then exactly. how long does that last for? My, um, what they do, because this is placental cancer, it produces HCG, which is human chorionic gonadotropin, okay. which is the same... That explains uh, that the pregnancy is, test. Exactly, which is why it makes the pregnancy test positive. Okay. Because that's what a pregnancy produces. So that's what they follow. It's basically, it's one of the only cancers that has a very specific tumor marker, so to speak, which is just that lab value. So if my HCG is up, something's up. If my HCG is normal, then it's, it's taken care of at the moment. Mm-hmm. So my HCG remained normal probably until about September. Okay, so about four months or so. Mm-hmm. And so then back in September, it started to climb, but it usually a very, very slow, gradual climb. And then all of a sudden, it'll start doubling. And once it starts doubling, then then there's something there, and it's growing. Right. Um, and it'll double every couple of days to a week. Oh, so, wow. So at that point, I was getting, had to go back into getting labs weekly and was restarting chemo by early November. Wow. Okay. So that one didn't last very long. No. Does that hit harder than the first time? Yep. For it sure. does. Because you're already starting to get your emotions back. Yep. And it, it's more, I don't know, it's easier to kind of look, at least for me personally, as a very, as someone who's um, an achiever, a doer. Okay. All right. Well, we finished that. We completed that. <laughs> right. That, I can kind of put that in a box and make sense of it. Mm-hmm. People deal with cancer 
all the time. Mm-hmm. Why would I expect, I mean, my mom had breast cancer, her mom had breast cancer, you know, people deal with cancer. So we did that, it was terrible, and but we made it, God's faithful, and now we're done with it, and he's gonna build us, you know, build our life back. Mm-hmm. So that made sense, but then it coming back, didn't make sense right. in any way, shape, or form to me at that mm-hmm. time. And so it just felt even more defeating. But still, I don't know, I hadn't been out of it that long. Right. So, yeah, so it's still just, in a way, it, it wasn't too hard to get back into the rhythm. Right, because you hadn't really normalized yet. Right. Right, that makes right. sense. So, okay, so that's late 2016. Mm-hmm. We are now mid-2019. What's, mm-hmm. What is all taking place between then and now? Because a lot has happened. Right. Yeah, that second round of chemo lasted until mid-January, and I got my number got back down again. And so got back into, quote, remission. So it, it got back down. Things were good. Then it was sometime that mid-2017 that the third time started. That time was only about four months. Okay. Yeah. Before it started coming back up again. Okay. And so then I did a third regimen of chemo um, for about that one took about eight months to get wow. through that full regimen, and I finished that. And then after that third regimen of chemo, things were good, and I was down to getting my labs. First, they do them weekly mm-hmm. for a couple of months, okay. and then after that, you start going monthly. So I was to monthly labs. And I had made it to the 11th month. And at the 11th month, at 12 months, they would say, you're good, you're done. This yeah. isn't one of those cancers that really returns. Like it's not something that just returns because I would have to have another precipitating event right. to get it again. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And so even these recurrences aren't a new return. Right, it's a It same is thing. the same one that started in the very beginning and to our understanding, it gets it got treated to a low enough level to where it's undetectable, but yet there were still cancer cells dormant, so to speak, mm-hmm. that then, after enough time away from chemo, were able to start reproducing again. Wow. So the, the, before the fourth time, it was month 11, where my number was not normal anymore. And um, there were, I remember every time I got that number back, I remember where I was because I would go in and get labs and then it would take a few hours before that lab would pop up and I was able to get it on my phone right. through an app. Um, and I, I just remembered, I think I was actually driving at the time, which was probably a terrible idea. We weren't hands-free then, it's okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it was the first time I felt like I was going to have what I would equate to like a panic attack. Yeah. I just, I started having, feeling like I was, couldn't breathe. Had to pull over the car. It's like, I don't, I don't even know where to go from here. Right. Because I mean, at that point you, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm Mm-hmm. And to be taken all the way back to what you haven't experienced for 11 months at that point. 11 months. I was back to work full time. I was homeschooling my kids two days a week. They were going to school. Bobby was in full swing with school. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not only to mention that part of it, but I had also just 
my last chemo regimen was kind of like, no one really knows what to do after this point. There is no other standard of care. Right. You've done them. <laughs> and usually they work. Usually choreo is treated 97% of the time. It's fully treated after the first regimen that I did. Wow. And then if that doesn't work, then it's clear cut. You do the second regimen that I did. After that, there's kind of some options. So we went with one of those options, which yeah. is what I had just finished eight months of. So after that, I mean, my doctor had been emailing other experts in the nation and getting their input, and everybody had a different opinion. Wow. And some of them even said things like, sorry, I don't have any great ideas here. So that is happening in 2018 then? This yep. is last yeah. year? Yeah. And um, so then numbers started coming back up at the end of 2018. And so um, usually the interesting thing was that most of the time my previous recurrences, you know, that they let, they follow this lab, which is the most specific and accurate way to know if there's a presence of cancer or not. But then if it gets to a certain level, each time they always do scans just to look. They scan my brain to make sure there's no recurrence there. And then full body scans to just see if they see anything anywhere. Mm -hmm. And in my previous recurrences, nothing was ever visible. They were never, never able to see anything at all. But then this fourth time, my number wasn't even, it was a little bit higher than it had been in my previous recurrences when I got the scan, which I think was a blessing that it started jumping up so high so that we were able to see some things. Um, and they were able to visualize a tumor on my kidney that okay. was consistent with where it had been in the very, very beginning, three plus years prior, that had disappeared in between with chemo. So they were able to visualize that and determine that, let's go ahead and jump with surgery and see what that does. Right. So I was booked for kidney surgery the very beginning of December okay. of 2018. They did a partial nephrectomy on one kidney. And since then you've had another surgery too? Since then right? I've had another surgery. <laughs> um, yeah. So they did, they did the kidney surgery, watched the number. The number responded very, very well. Okay. And so we were going to follow that and see if it would continue to trend down. It got a, less than five is normal. Okay. Any woman could have an HCG of two, three, four, just based on where she's at in our cycle okay. or what her hormone levels are doing. Right. Um, so anything less than five they consider normal. Um, and mine trended after my surgery all the way down to 19. So we were okay. very hopeful. Um, because it had been quite a bit higher than that prior to surgery. Yeah. So it obviously did some good, but then it started to just hang out there and then slowly, slowly climb again. Very slowly, but slowly climb. And so we ended up getting more scans and they saw two small lung nodules, which I had had lung nodules in the past as well. Um, and they determined to try to get those out. And so I had bilateral lung surgery in May. Wow. Wait. Yes. Yeah, May. Two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. I can imagine at this point they're just trying to get anything they could possibly Yeah. At this point we're we're already drawing. You know, we're yeah. just kinda drawn for whatever we can grab a hold of. Yeah. Um and they had started we actually determined after the kidney surgery to go ahead and start me on a trial that really it's not FDA approved for choreo. It's pretty new drug. Um, it's called Keytruda, so I had started on that in the interim, but it's a different, it's, it's a different type of chemo, and it works on the, your own immune system to try and okay. fight 
the cancer and to kill the cancer rather than the medicine itself killing the cancer, which is what the standard chemo does. Right. And so we really didn't know how long it would take for it to start making a positive impact. So we kind of got against this rock and a hard place of how long is too long to wait to see if this is going to do something or do we need to, you know, change courses here? And really there was nothing to go off of. My doctor had one study that she could find from Sharon Cross in London about four women similar to me who had um, responded to chemo but had recurrences over and over again, Mm -hmm. four of them. That's it. That's all she could find. And three of them had done well with this drug. Okay. One of them had not. But, oh my so that's all we had to go off of, but still we didn't know timing-wise how long is too long to wait before right. we need to change courses because the, the struggle is that if I got recurrence in my brain, there's really nothing they can do about it. Right. I've already had my max dose of radiation for my lifetime, and chemo doesn't cross well into the right. brain. So you can't just sit and wait and watch. Right. Um, anyway, so they did a lung surgery, and that... That seemed to have a positive impact, and I'm still doing Keytruda, but my number as of a month ago is good. That's good. Yeah. As a mom who hasn't dealt with this personally, I feel like my there's already so much that we're called to do as yeah. moms and as wives and as women and all of the things. How does this rock your roles, just being in this state for four years now almost Um, it'll be four years in december i can imagine your perspective has changed quite a bit yeah just kind of being for four (laughs) years fighting for your life right fighting for the ability to raise your kids fighting for the ability to be a wife what how did how has this kind of just changed your perspective on everything well um of course you you kind of want to know why but then also just okay how how am i supposed to do this Maybe why matters, maybe it doesn't, but still mm-hmm. how. And I, n- I never got a clear and direct and succinct answer to why, because I think it is, I think there's a million answers as to why it's been allowed to be this way. But in, in relation to motherhood, I did ask the question, I was just, Lord, if it was just me, I could feel okay going to be with you right now. Right. You know? Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> I have a husband and I have three small children. Um, so don't they need me? Mm-hmm. And it makes me emotional just from. But he said, yes, they do. But they need this you, mm. not previous you. And that completely shifted, that completely shifted me to where I said, okay. I don't even fully understand what that means. Right. But I understand enough to know if, if that's what they need, then okay. When I, when I got that perspective shift, It changed everything because then it became completely less about finishing this and moving on with my life and it 
shifted to just live this life. This is a part of your life. And there's no guarantee as to when it will no longer. And actually, it will never not be a part of your life. You right. know? Right. There's, there's, at some point, prayerfully and hopefully, and I believe I won't be receiving treatment anymore, but this is always going to be a massive part of my life. Yeah. And finding a way to live that life, not out of any sense of lack so not viewing myself in a manner of I'm I don't have enough energy to do this mm -hmm. I don't have enough time to do this I don't you know I I don't even feel like cooking right now because nothing sounds good all of these things that could make it feel like the life I have is not possible to live with the circumstances that you've allowed for me and I think that that message right there is relatable to every woman's life. Absolutely. Well, for me personally, I know for sure that he allowed this. I have no question that he did not cause it. My personal belief is that, and how I can be at complete peace with God is that we live we live in a fallen world mm -hmm. and our bodies do not function in the way that he designed them to function because of that i got cancer right. you know <laughs> it really is pretty simple to me which which is how and why i really never dealt with much anger toward him interesting which a lot of people had on my behalf especially with the recurrences yeah, I can imagine. Um, but I, I did not feel angry at him. I didn't understand, and I wrestled with it, and I questioned, and I argued, but I didn't necessarily feel just like, why, you know, right. why me? But yeah, that perspective shift, I think, is necessary if we are to have and live a life at peace. Because I, in no way, shape, or form, believe that this is the last hard thing I'm going to walk through. Right. And I believe that where the Lord is leading us, even with my husband starting med school two days ago, that I needed that level. I needed that level of faith. And that's something that, it, that for me personally, I'm a, I can be a very stubborn and hard-headed person. Mm -hmm. And I think... I think it took a lot for me to be broken enough to really get what it means to trust in the Lord. My physical capabilities, because I can push myself, my physical capabilities had to be fully stripped away for me to realize how incapable I truly am. Mm-hmm. And how dependent I have to be on him in order to even breathe. Yeah. That's interesting because I feel like, unfortunately, I think for people who are, you know, who walk in faith with God, a lot of times it does take the extreme circumstances before we remember to turn to him for our strength. Mm -hmm. How are you now, having been 
in this for so long of, of leaning on him mm-hmm. and relying on him. How fluent are you at being able to transfer that into the little things in life now too? Well, I look at some of the things that I carry as constant reminders. I mean, I still have my port and I probably will for at least another year plus. Okay. They won't take that out for a long time with me because <laughs> I got the first one out because I was like, take this thing out, we're done. Yeah. And then I got another one, so I'll keep this one for a while. But anyway, um, I also have a lot of new scars that are external and physical and you can see them, yeah. you know? Um, and I have side effects from chemo that still exist and may or may not ever go away. In particular, this ring in my ears that's constant. And in the very beginning, it was very difficult for me to even just fall asleep because it was like, there's noise all the time and I can't make it stop. Right. Um, but now I can, you know, I can live with it and I can ignore it and it doesn't bother me at all. But I can also know it's there, like even right now. Right. It's just kind of my, it's my constant reminder of um, how dependent I am on the Lord. Well, because for one, I, I have no doubt that I would not be here currently if it were not for him. Yeah. Which is a weird thing, and it's difficult for some people to be okay with. They're like, well, look, he, he let you get this. So how can you be thankful? How can you be okay with that? Because I truly believe that, that my best was potentially only achievable through this type of suffering. Right. I think that's helpful. I mean, and like you said, you have constant, you have little reminders, right? You have little reminders to, that are kind of built in now. One of the biggest struggles I have is just fatigue that, you know, I used to be able to function off of six and a half, seven hours and do a lot throughout the day and feel for the most part fine. And now I need nine hours at night and probably a nap during the day at some point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, and keep in mind, you have a six, four, and no, six, four, and eight, eight, four, eight, eight six, six, four. four. Yeah. Yep. Eight, oh six, and goodness. four year olds. Um, so just when I, you know, when I do get fatigued and parenting becomes a challenge during that time, I'm again reminded mm-hmm. I can only through your grace do this. And that's how I want to always do this, no matter how physically capable I may at one point be or not be. I want my dependency to be consistently on you for every day. So it has shifted me into being more cognizant and aware of just the moment by moment. Okay, your grace, your grace, your grace, your grace. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not feeling the grace, then I'm probably not where I need to be right now. You know, or I'm probably trying to do more than you're having me do. <laughs> you know? Isn't that a story of all of us? Mm-hmm. And then also, I I I don't know if I'll ever lose, and I pray I don't ever lose. Just the reminder that we aren't guaranteed tomorrow, right? And the things, the things that really matter, are very different than what we usually set out thinking are the most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's true whether or not you have cancer, right? Yep. We, none of us know whether no we have tomorrow. So and that has slowed me down a lot. That's awesome. In a good way. So you talked about how um, God kind of spoke to you and said that you need to, your children need this version of you. 
how have you seen, and this can go for Robbie too, how have you seen this shift who your husband is and who mm-hmm. your children are? I think I wrote one of my blog posts about just the differences and how they responded to everything. Because the ages at which this started highly affected how they understood it and how mm-hmm. they responded. So Clara, the oldest, did did fine for the most part. I mean, she loved going to her cousin's house every other weekend. <laughs> that was bonus, you know. Yeah. Um, she has good memories of me being in the hospital because the second and third go around, they would every once in a while come and stay with me overnight. Oh wow! So the girls would come and just for one night while I was there, watch a movie, go to a right. little snack place and get some ice cream, you know. So they're like, "This is great." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she actually has good memories. She was able to process it really well and kind of understand it. But then Ellie, she was so young when it started. So she struggled. She struggled a lot. She was the hardest one during during the beginning because she had a lot of, you could tell it just made her very anxious. And um, having to leave mommy mm-hmm. all the time and then mommy and daddy leaving all the time, she didn't know, she didn't know how to handle that. So right. yeah, she would, she would scream and cry in ways I'd never heard before. Um, and so I can still see a little bit of residue of that, like with Robbie having been gone these last few days, she struggles more with that than the other two. And then John Mark, he was seven months when we started. Right. This is so all he's ever known. All he's ever known. I mean, the fact that I have hair now, it's kind of like, oh, mommy has hair, you know? <laughs> he hardly ever seen me with hair before. That's so okay. life is normal for him. Right. When they look back as adults and they try to take life lessons away from this journey, what do you hope they have as like their main takeaways? What do you hope that they learn from, from um, this version I, of I would you? say the biggest thing would just be they would remember mommy and daddy being in their Bibles every single day, no matter what, no matter how she felt or looked, no matter how hard things were in the hospital, out of the hospital, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. that was consistent, and it has been. And more so than just the act of being in your Bible, but that being such um, the most important thing in keeping us grounded and in faith and at peace, mm-hmm. not walking around. I, I hope that they look back and are like, how did everything seem okay? Yeah. You know, and that that, because they don't know right right now they don't know other kids childhoods they don't no. know that this isn't right normal right and for the most part I mean from because we've asked other people like what do you see in our kids do you see anything in them any you know I want to make sure that if they need any like counseling or right yeah. help or whatever that we get them whatever they need and for the most part people are like they're great yeah <laughs> yeah they're fine amazingly um, and I attribute that completely to the community that the Lord provided us with to where things stayed pretty consistent for them. They had people mm-hmm. around. They had support. They never felt like they were being neglected in any way, shape, or form. Right. My goodness, you know. And the way that the Lord has allowed Robbie and I to respond to everything. Yes, there were moments. Of course, they've seen me 
Ellie still can remember me getting a phone call and starting to cry on the phone when they told me, you know, something. Right. Why did you start crying? You know, I don't tell yeah. her. And that's the other thing is that we've been very straightforward with them. If they ask questions, we answer it. Yeah. We've kind of normalized it, attempted to normalize it for them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've come to the lab with me a million times. They've seen me them stick my port. They've seen them draw blood. They've seen yeah. me get fluids and drugs and chemo and medicine and doctors and my scars and everything, you know. And so they're not afraid of it. It's not scary to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually love that. Something tells me you're going to have at least one of the three follow in the medical. <laughs> follow you and Robbie's footsteps and go medical because they're going to come out of this and be like, oh, needles? Oh, blood? Oh. But it's also given them an opportunity to just see such a different view of people. And I hope that that's something they're able to take away from mm-hmm. it. Just see them being in waiting rooms and seeing people that are bald and seeing people in wheelchairs and seeing people that look really, really sick and seeing, you know, just such a variety of people that you see when you're in that environment. Well, that's, that is a beautiful thing because cancer doesn't discriminate, right? I mean, you're going to get people from every walk of life possible. Yep. We're all there. It doesn't matter who you were when yeah. you walked in this room. Yeah. No matter how much money you make, mm-hmm. what position you hold, how healthy you were prior, you know, where you live, right. what kind of house you came from, we all have the exact same need. And that's why we're all sitting in this waiting room right now. Yeah. So. So, um, what's next for you guys? Well... I have one more treatment here at Vandy, mm-hmm. and then we are moving to Rochester, Minnesota, where Robbie is starting med school. Well, just did start med school. It sounds really great to say that. Yeah, you guys, this has been a long time Working coming. Working on it a long time. <laughs> um, so, say it louder for the people yeah. in the back. <laughs> um, so he's starting med school at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, which is amazing. If you don't know about Mayo, you should look into it, but it's one of the top research and development uh, medical centers in the country and even around the world. I mean, people come from all over the world to go to Mayo. Yeah. And so I'll get, I'll be transferred there as well. So hopefully still to oh, wow. finish out my uh, last couple of rounds that are just for good measure, mm-hmm. but then I'll still see a doctor there and see... If there's anything else, but they'll monitor me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, med school, move, kids, figure them out. Yep. School. Still have to raise them at some point through all of this. That's exactly. Amazing. So the very last thing that I want to ask um, is, since you are a mother, what does motherhood mean to you? I see each of my kids as such individuals that is so exciting to see who they're going to be or even who they are right now but even what those personalities and brains are going to develop into but i also think as mothers it's important for us to see that as a part of our lives and not as our life I mean, we're always going to be mothers. Once you have a child, you're a mother until you die, you know? Mm-hmm. But we won't always be mothering in the sense of with them at home and requiring the level of care that they do while they're in your home. Mm-hmm. 
And when you look at that, when you look at your life in those sections, it is, it's just a percentage of time. And it's not even necessarily the majority of the time. So I see motherhood as a very intensive season of being given the gift to have a part in developing and steering the lives of three of the most special people in this entire world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's who my children are to me, you yeah. know, but I believe every mother should feel that way about their own children. Right. That also brings me to a level of dependency on the Lord like no other because I'm pretty sure all three of my kids are smarter than I am. (laughs) They definitely have more energy than I do at this point in time. But just, okay, I have no idea outside of your guidance on how to parent these three very different children according to the way that they each individually need to be parented. Because there are bedrock truths that apply to every kid. But I also want to hear the specifics of what each of them needs because they are very different. Um, So motherhood is a gift and it is a challenge, but it, when done well and in partnership, is one of the biggest blessings that we're ever given the opportunity to have on this side of heaven, I believe. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. Well, that is all. You've done it. A whole hour. Way to go. <laughs> um, thank you so much, so much for sitting down. I know, you, like we said before, you are literally packing up your house <laughs> right now. Like, there's boxes everywhere. Mm-hmm. You are getting ready to move. You guys leave this house in five days? Five days, yeah. Five days? Yep. Um, you sent your kids across the street to play with neighbors. So, um, this is a super mom doing it all. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, glad to be here.